Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. All right. Well, today we have Brian Ward back with us. Our last episode, we, he's learned even more since the last episode we had with him. And he's he's gotten a lot of calls for how can these laws apply to civilians? They can. And he's going to explain that today. So about 99% is going to apply to everybody. Um, maybe 1% won't apply to military. And, and I've been told that some of this will be all new things that I may not have heard of before. So I'm very intrigued, very excited, and very happy to have Brian Ward back on with us. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Dr. Sigaloff, for having me with you. And first of all, I want to tell you that I genuinely appreciate all of the efforts that you're putting forth. You know, not only do you have a full-time job and a full-time family, and now you're doing these podcasts to help educate and inform. And not only that, you and I both know the amount of time and energy and work it takes to research the information that we will discuss. And so I just want to say from me to you, I appreciate everything that you're doing. And it's going to take all of us to win this battle, that's for certain. So the purpose of this conversation today is specifically because I've had so many civilians reach out to me after uh, there was a DOD video that I put out. And these civilians are with ICE, Department of Homeland Defense, uh, Veterans Administration. I mean, just it runs the gamut. And not only federal employees, uh, but also employees who work for major corporations and parents who are concerned about their students going to college. And will they be forced to participate in an experimental drug? And so uh, my desire today isn't to give a what I would call a formal lecture uh, where I go through and, and build a, a strong foundation by going through an enormous set of laws because uh, that would take some time. I decided that what I would do is present this information from the lens of all of the court cases that are ongoing. Uh, because that's where the deception has taken place. That's where the lies are being told. And they're allowed to be told because 90%, maybe 99% of what I'm, up, I'm about to describe to you has not made its way into a single court case because the legal community, by and large, they are completely unfamiliar with the laws that protect human subjects involved in experimental drugs such as Pfizer's BioNTech COVID-19. So let's start with Section 564. This is a, 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 a section of law that authorizes the HHS secretary to uh, approve the use of an unapproved drug during a declared emergency. Now, right now, federal lawyers from the DOJ and others, they are saying that the drugs that are in, uh, that's part of this EUA, that they're not investigational new drugs. What they are are EUA drugs or EUA products. And that is not exactly the truth. Well, it's, it's actually a, a complete fallacy. Let me explain to you why. In the section of law called 360BBB, dash three is where the secretary has the authority to issue or to approve these drugs. Well, in dash two, it declares that the secretary must give a classification to drugs that will be used under these expanded access laws. So section 564 is under a body of federal law that provides expanded access to drugs that you're normally not allowed to access because they're in a clinical research. They have not been approved by the FDA either for um, according to the product's labeling or according to the intended use during the declared emergency. So the secretary is required by law, all these drugs that would be given expanded access that Dash 2 declares that he must give it a classification and why? Because the law says we need to understand which set of regulations will govern these drugs. So now we go all the way back to August the 23rd of 2021 when the FDA approved Pfizer's Comirnaty. Literally, seconds later, they issue an emergency use authorization letter for Pfizer's BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. They state, number one, it's because Comirnaty is not available to anyone yet. Then they tell uh, Pfizer, quote, that you must clearly and conspicuously state on all printed matter that this product has not been licensed, it has not been approved by the FDA. Number two, you must, listen to this, here comes the classification, you must submit 
two in an investigational new drug application. And here is your IND number. So Section 564 does not create a new classification. What it does, it opens a door to drugs that have already been classified by the FDA. And so this is important because there are a lot of laws that surround and evolve in investigational new drug that are not exempt simply because it comes underneath an EUA. What Section 564 specifically does, it removes all of the legal barriers that would normally prohibit you or I from accessing drugs that have not been approved by the FDA during a declared emergency. This is the only uh, authority claimed by Congress in this section of law. Number two, the secretary, he is the one that determines um, how the drugs will be manufactured, how they will be distributed, how they will be administrated. However, this is something else in this law that you will not find in a single court case, and it is mind-boggling to me. Section 564 specifically declares that the secretary has no authority to require any person to participate in any activity uh, of laws or drugs that have become authorized through the issuance of a Section 564 or EUA letter. In other words, uh, the secretary can approve the use of an investigational new drug in an EUA, but he can't force the manufacturer to manufacture it. He can't force anybody to ship it. He can't force anybody to store it in their medical office, and he can't force anybody to, to receive the drug. Now, because Congress only gave Secretary the authority in this body of law, that authority is not transferable. In fact, Section 564 says this law only applies to those individuals who choose to participate in this process. So a governor, for example, since we're talking about civilians, can't just say, I'm going to amend the scope of authorization within this document, and now I'm going to void the option to refuse the product, and I'm going to create a law that says you must take the product or there will be penalty. There is no statute for that. There is no law for that. And so here we have, within Section 564, a law that clearly declares that only the Secretary can authorize the use, and he has no other authority whatsoever. It's not transferable, and no one in America has the right, which we'll get into in a moment, to force you to participate in an unapproved drug by the FDA. So... Um, how in the world do we get up where we are to come to a place in America where we are today since this is the law? Well, number one, there's a lot of deception taking place in these directives. And I'm going to raise a lot of people's eyebrows in a moment because I'm going to talk about a DOD directive that came out on June the 16th. I'm going to expose exactly how they wrote it. But you need to understand if you're a civilian, you're working for Delta, you're working for Google or Boeing, and you are harassed and intimidated and told that you're going to lose your job, I'm going to show you how how this applies to every Americans and how the same thing that's taken place in the military is the same thing that's taken place in the VA, it's taken place within uh, the uh, ICE and other organizations. So um, let me just look at my notes here. So now we have uh, proof, fundamental understanding that this e these EUA COVID-19 drugs are in fact investigational new drugs. They are governed by investigational new drug regulations. That is without question. All investigational new drugs must come under the purview of an institutional review board without exception. Those IRBs are required to be governed by a set of regulations known as the Common Rule and the Belmont Report. And in a moment, we'll get into that. But let's first talk about the issue of interchangeability. And I believe um, a lot of you are going to get some, uh, an understanding here of the high level of deception that has been uh, deployed against the sovereign rights of the American people. Early on, and I don't know exactly if it was in August or if it was, well, you know, it was August the 23rd of 2021 when they issued the first EUA after Comanati approval. Here's what the FDA said. They said, speaking, to, speaking about Pfizer's drugs, this is very important, particularly for attorneys listening to this. This will really help you out in your court cases. They declared that these two drugs have certain legal distinctions and they may be used interchangeably to provide the vaccination series 
without safety and health concerns. Now, that's a paraphrase, but it's 100% spot on as it relates to the context. So let's decipher this because now that phrase, if you go and look at the July 22nd, I think it's the last EUA, I could be wrong, but now it has ballooned to about eight sentences long. Um, it's become a huge paragraph. And so when you do a crit critical analysis, uh, what I do is I like to take the beginning of the um, subject matter and the end of it, and I delete everything in the middle because that gets to the heart and crux of what this section is truly saying. So when you do that, it literally states these two drugs have certain legal dif uh, distinctions, but they can be, but here's what it says, but the provider, the provider can use these two drugs interchangeably to um, administer the vaccination series without safety and health concerns. Now, what they don't do is they don't put, wh who is the provider? When you read this sentence today, it says these two drugs have certain legal distinctions. You can use them interchangeably without fear of, of safety or health concerns. So let's break it down. Uh, and it's exactly what you said, but I I'm driving toward a point here. Uh, number one, it makes a legal declaration to America that these two drugs have legal distinctions. And you better know what they are. You can't just make up your own laws about what those distinctions are. Then what does it do? The FDA is talking to the healthcare provider. It's not talking to governors. It's not talking to um, um, you know the legality of these issues. It says, "Hey, healthcare providers, you can use these drugs interchangeably without." And that's the most important phrase: "without." I mean, word "without." Without what? Fear of safety and health concerns. In other words, we have a scientific statement and we have a legal statement here. Now. What are those two uh, legal distinctions? Well, those legal distinctions are the labels attached to the drug vials. Those drug uh, labels have significant legal consequences to the recipient of the product. For example, if I come into your office, Dr. Sigaloff, and you administer to me BioNTech COVID-19, you are required by law to administer it to me according to the scope of authorization under the EUA. If I were to come in and take Comirnate, you are under no such obligation, even though those two drugs have the exact same formula. Why? Because of the certain legal distinctions known as the drug labels. And no governor in California or New Jersey or in Michigan, no governor has the authority to exempt themselves from the legal requirements of those laws that govern those drug labels because those drug labels, America, they were derived by an act of Congress. And unless you're going to involve Congress in this discussion, you don't have the right to go around and say, listen, you can use one drug as if it is the other. So let's talk about what you can't do. Uh, Dr. Sigaloff, you could not take the chemical out of a BioNTech vial and pour it into a vial of Comirnaty and then go administer it. That is a felony. <laughs> in virtually all 50 states. Uh, it does not matter what the formula is. It's the drug label. You're taking an unapproved product and put it into an approved product vial. That's prison time. What you can't do is you can't advertise or promote an unapproved product as if it is an approved product. That's a felony under misbranding laws. We're talking about a, a serious breakdown of basic uh, legal structure in America as it relates to this issue. So think about it like this. We have two drugs that if you take BioNTech, you are volunteering for biomedical research, whether you realize it or not. You are forfeiting a significant amount of legal um, litigation rights in the future because that drug is underneath the PrEP Act, and it pretty much exempts everybody from any kind of um, a liability as it relates to the future if you are injured from the use of those products. <clears throat> so when it comes to interchangeability, here's what everybody should realize. The only thing that's interchangeable is it basically comes down to one angle, and that is this. If you were to go into Dr. Sigalaw's office and take BioNTech COVID-19 shot, and then you went a couple of weeks later to get your second shot, he could give you Comirnate. That's what the FDA is declaring. That's what it means. It does not mean that you can interchange the laws. Because if we're going to interchange the drugs, we must have the authority to interchange the laws that apply to that drug. 
Why? Let's say that you take BioNTech COVID-19 and you're injured. Should you have the right to go into a court and declare that because they told you that they were the same and there was no difference, that now you should be able to argue underneath the laws that govern Comirnaty, which are completely different from the laws that govern BioNTech COVID-19? Well, the judge is going to look at you and chuckle and say, no, you were administered this drug, therefore these laws must be applied to this case. Well, if that's the case, which it truly is, in future litigation rights, that is most certainly the case as it relates to COVID-19 vaccine mandates. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, you may not administer BioNTech, legally speaking, just like you can Comirnaty. There is no basis for that. There is no statute for that. It does not exist because if you change the, um, the drugs, you must be afforded the right that the laws are changed that govern the drugs as they are applied to you. And I guarantee you this, Pfizer is not going to change the two drugs um, uh, when it comes to court cases in the future. They want 100% immunity from all lawsuits. So let's talk about two other aspects of this, and then we're going to go into the Belmont report, and then I'm going to show you the deception. Let's talk about what is a right. When Section 564 declares to you that you have the option to accept or refuse the product, that is a legislated right. Essentially, illegally speaking, it is a right that we, the people, gave to ourselves through our elected representatives. And no government, no authority has the, uh, the right, the legal right, to penalize us be because, simply because they do not um, agree with the choice that we made. For example, let's say we have a speed limit of 65 miles an hour on the interstate. That is an option for you to choose. You can go up to that speed limit if you desire to um, make that choice. If you reach 65 miles an hour, a police officer does not have the authority to come and give you a ticket for doing 65 miles an hour. Why? Because we, the people, through our legislative representatives, we said that we want to give ourselves the right to go that fast on the interstate. This is the exact same scenario when it comes to Section 564. We have the option to accept an experimental product, and we have the option to refuse an experimental product. Now, why am I calling these an experimental products? Well, all of the COVID-19 vaccine, uh, vaccines available to you and I to date, they have been classified by the FDA as an investigational new drug. Now, an IND is defined by the federal government as, quote, a substance that has been tested in a laboratory and authorized by the FDA to test in you, also known as an experimental drug. So when we created Section 564, because if there was a weapon of mass destruction placed in America and 100,000 people needed access to emergency care and the medical community believed that there was a product that could help bring healing to our bodies from that agent, there needed to be a... So in Section 564, it declares to you and I that we have the option to accept or refuse the product. Now, this is a significant legal issue that's taken place in America today because in court, what the Department of Justice is arguing, that we do not have the fundamental right to refuse the administration of this product without incurring a penalty. Ladies and gentlemen, when we the people got together in Congress and wrote Section 564, we said that we have the right, we have the authority to either accept the product or refuse the product. So if we have that right, it means that no one may penalize us based on one of those two federally protected choices. Now, the federal lawyers who are arguing that we could be penalized, Delta, who penalized their employees through their higher insurance, uh, Google, who threatened their employees because they made a choice that they disagreed with, those were all illegal acts. Why? Because if the 14th Amendment still has the force of law, we must be treated equally before the law at all times. Number one, if we have a right, it is a fundamental right that may not be infringed upon, period. If this is allowed to stand, and I'm shocked that our state attorneys general, that they have not gone to the court and declared, no, this is a fundamental right, that they can choose one of these two options. And we'll get into why the federal lawyers and other companies believe that they have a right to 
uh, sneak around this authority here. But number two, when it comes to the 14th Amendment, think about it like this. The 14th Amendment declares that um, we will be treated equally whether we accept the product or we refuse the product. Well, if, a, if Google can threaten and harass and coerce their employees who made the choice not to accept the product, then another company can threaten, harass, and coerce employees who did choose to accept the product. <laughs> now, that would be all over the mainstream news, wouldn't it be, if that took place one day? But look what has happened in our nation. We have citizens in Florida who are completely free from the fear of being forced vaccination or forced administration of an experimental product, whereas you go to New Jersey, you go to Michigan, you go to New York, they are under significant strain, significant requirements to participate in these experimental products. Well, Florida citizens and New York citizens are both citizens of the federal government under the federal jurisdiction, and they are operating under the exact same Section 564 laws. However, they're being treated wholly um, different and unequally between one another. This is a fundamental violation of the 14th Amendment rights in America. Number two, let's take Delta when they raised health insurance prices of their employees. Number one, Delta didn't have that right, which I'm about to explain in a moment. But what did they do? They said, the CEO said, listen, I disagree with your choice. You both have federally protected rights, but I disagree with one of those. Therefore, I'm going to penalize only one group, not one individual, one group. Therefore, those employees would have a strong legal right to seek a judicial remedy in a court of law with punitive <laughs> remedies. Unlike the military, where you're really, you, you don't have that access to those punitive remedies in the civilian world, you absolutely do. So when, when we the people in Section 564 declare that we have the right to accept or refuse the product, that right was not allowed to be penalized by any government authority or any CEO. So how in the world did we get here, Dr. Sigalov? Well, number one, by and large, it is because no one in the legal community, and I mean no one, um, is aware of a title of laws called the Protection of Human Subjects. Because since they were developed primarily after 1974, they have never seen the inside of a courtroom. Because what has taken place in America in 2021 and 22 has never been perpetrated against the American people before. What are these laws? Well, in 1974, Congress passed the National Research Act, which led to the, um, a commission being developed. Um, and this commission was required by Congress to create a set of laws that would lay out the ethical guidelines when involving humans in medical experimentation. And listen to this, America. This is going to really shock you. They were required by Congress to consider and define the nature and legal definition of informed consent. And this definition has never been argued in a court of law before, and it most certainly applies to you and I. Now, this commission released their findings in what is known as the Belmont Report in April of 1978. It was entered into the Federal Register. It has the force of law because it was as if Congress themselves wrote the law and it passed the Senate and the president himself signed on to it. So the Belmont Report is throughout federal statute. It is embedded in a set of laws titled 45 CFR 46, known as the common rule. Now, Dr. Sigaloff, let me just go ahead and dispel one myth that's being uh, flooded in the courts right now. Uh, DOJ lawyers are saying that these laws do not apply to EUA products because 45 CFR 46, which I'll call the common rule from now on, um, is only for clinical research studies. That's just, it's not even fallacy, it's just an outright lie. When you go and say, what is this policy? It says this policy applies to research when involving humans in medical experimentation. It doesn't say clinical studies. And how does it define research? Any activity that adds to the generalized knowledge of the product. But then underneath that, it gives you a definition for clinical studies because clinical studies is an aspect of research. But research could be observational, it could be data collection, and we know this because when you read the body of law, it actually talks about it. Now, this law has been embedded in 20 federal agencies, 
It has been embedded in the federal government and all 50 states in their statutes declared that they abide by the common rule. All 50 state health department agencies. This thing is so deep that no one knows anything about. In 2001, HHS created an office called the Office of Human Research Protections. In this office, they have a program called FWA, or Federal Wide Assurance. They have one job and they have failed completely. And what is that job? That job is to ensure that every government agency in America, at the state level, at the city level, at the federal level, if they interact with the HHS in any shape, fashion, or form, that they must abide by two things. Number one, the common rule. Number two, the Belmont Report. So what does the, uh, the, the common rule say about the Belmont Report? Listen, if you're going to use this policy for research, you must abide by the Belmont Report. If you exempt anything from this, um, re this policy, those exempted activities, they are required to abide by the Belmont Report. So even though there's a lot of aspects or a lot of conversation, uh, philosophical discussions within the Belmont Report, because listen, they, it was 780 pages of essays written by the brightest minds in America over a period of four years that went into this 15-minute um, document. It takes you about 15 minutes to read it. But as it relates to this conversation, and here's where America is just going to be shocked to the core of their being, it's how they define legally effective informed consent. You see, when you read 45 CFR 46 and 32 CFR 219 and the Surgeon General's uh, Human uh, Subjects Research and Review Board regulations, um, they don't say you must obtain the informed consent. What it says specifically, you must obtain the legally effective informed consent. And it must be in advance of the administration of the product. If you ask doctors, you ask lawyers today, they'll tell you informed consent means this. Number one, you must know what the product is. Number two, you must know what the risk and the benefits associated with the products are. Number three, you must be given the option to accept or refuse the product, the surgery, whatever it might be. But as it relates to these COVID-19 investigational new drugs, there is a fourth part that the Belmont Report and Congress have codified throughout America without exception, including universities, mothers, including universities who have violated the fundamental rights of your children. The Belmont Report and Congress declared that the authorities involved in the administration and the government of these drugs must ensure that there is a set of adequate conditions in place in order to receive the consent of the individual to participate. In other words, I can't just say, yes, I'll take Pfizer's BioNTech experimental product. The authority must first create a legally approved environment so that I can give the yes. And what is that environment? It's going to shock you. It literally declares in black and white plain language that the authority is required to ensure that you, America, that you're not under a, quote, sanction, that you're not under a, quote, coercive policy, and that you're not under a, quote, undue influence. This is the law for anything, any product, any drug that has not been approved by the FDA. We're talking about a wholesale violation of the fundamental rights of the American people to opt out of medical experimentation simply because of the sheer volume of abuses that our uh, parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents went through before 1974. So the abuses by research agents in America were so bad, Dr. Sigaloff, that during the Nuremberg trials, Nazi scientists actually used the research in America, conducted on Americans without their knowledge and consent, as their defense. So Congress acted to rectify that situation. In other words, if you are underneath a mandate, the authorities um, must not give you access to the products. Why? Because they're required to obtain your legally effective informed consent in advance. This is so deep, and it even goes beyond the Belmont Report. There are specific regulations that declare that if I am going to use a, a drug by Pfizer, an investigational new drug, say I'm a research doctor, a research agent, I'm a governmental authority, um, such as um, you know a public health provider, 
I must ensure Pfizer, the law says, two things, that I will inform the recipient that this product has not been approved by the FDA, and that I must promise Pfizer that I will obtain the informed consent of the individual before I administer the product. Why? We have to go back to Section 564 and even in the PREP Act. Section 564 says the Secretary has no authority to require anybody to participate in any aspect of this. Number two, the Belmont declares this, and, and, and then I'm going to end this section. The Belmont report declares this. If you, the individual, if you're under any kind of outside pressure to participate, it is legally impossible. Even if you say that you are 100% volunteering for this product, if you're under a mandate, Congress has declared it is legally impossible for you to participate in one of these drugs. That's huge, what you just said. Enormous. Yes, it is. And not a single attorney in America understands this principle. Because, and listen, I'm not criticizing attorneys. I really want them to know that. Um, I want them on my side to help out. These laws have never been argued. Not one time has the Belmont Report shown up in a courtroom um, since 1978. So then, Dr. Sigloff, how do we get here? Well, I want to take one example for the American people to, to help illuminate the mind and the heart so that when you read your instructions— you, those directives that are coming from the federal government, that you'll be able to see it through a new, a new lens. And on June the 16th of this year, 2022, and I'm going to use an example in the military, but the same principle applies throughout America, I promise you. Um, the health department or the health defense agency within the DOD issued a memorandum from Lieutenant General Place. He said a couple of things. Number one, that the DOD will only use full licensure drugs to comply with vaccine mandates. Now, this was just less than a month ago. Number two, Dr. Sigaloff, if you haven't read this yet, he declared that service members have the right to refuse the administration of an EUA product without, quote, fear of consequences, end quote. Then he says right below that, that, um, the providers will use uh, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 uh, slash Comirnaty to fulfill these mandates. Now, when I read it on the first day, I'll be honest with you. I just said they're still playing this game, that because they share the same formula, they believe they can mandate these equally. But after about three days, I started, my Sherlock Holmes was aroused on the inside of me. And I said to myself, I said, you know, I don't know who this Lieutenant General Place guy is, but he can't be that stupid and to have arrived where he's arrived at within the military. So let me go back and let me just chew on this for a moment. Let me just really investigate what they're really saying. And after three days, because listen, it sounds schizophrenic, right? It sounds schizophrenic to say you, 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 you don't have to take an EUA product without fear of consequence, but then right underneath that, literally within one page, you have to take this EUA product. That's schizophrenic talk. And so after three days of chewing on it, it hit me at one in the morning. I mean, it just popped in my head like a, like a bolt of light, and I shot up in my bed, and I went, oh, my goodness. And I began to review all kinds of uh, directives coming from high-level executives throughout America. And they were all saying the exact same thing. Watch the, the high level of deception that has taken place here in these words. What Lieutenant General Place declared, he said providers will use Pfizer BioNTech slash Comirnaty to complete the vaccination series. What, it was a slash. That's what I realized. There's the deception. What he's really saying is providers will use Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 and or Comirnaty. But if you read it in the context of the statement right above that you can't be penalized or you can refuse it, here's what the document is literally saying in a very deceptive, hidden manner. Service member, you have the right, I mean, a uh, healthcare provider, if a service member comes into your office, you will use Pfizer BioNTech or Pfizer Comirnaty. If they refuse the EUA product, you will use Comirnaty to fulfill the COVID-19 vaccine mandate.
That is literally what the document is saying, but it is masking it with such a degree. I'm amazed at their high degree of deception. It is pure artwork. So what Lieutenant General Place doesn't do is he doesn't dis uh, discuss the, um, the um, aspect that there are no COVID-19 um, FDA-approved drugs in circulation, period. He's just not going to discuss that at all, and, and that is a dereliction of duty. I can say that as a civilian. He is engaged in the maltreatment of officers, uh, the service members, um, because he is abusing the powers of his office, because he is being lazy. He is intentionally leaving information out, and if he's not intentionally leaving information out, he most certainly does not to be uh, in the office that he's in because he has absolutely no understanding of the regulations from the Institutional Review Board underneath the U.S. Army Surgeon General that governs those products. What do those regulations uh, declare? Number one, any product issued under the Force, Force, uh, Force Health Protection Program must abide by the Belmont Report. <laughs> Number two, IRB individuals are required to instruct and educate the DOD community on three things. Number one, the Belmont Report, it declares. Number two, the Nuremberg Code. And number three, these regulations. <clears throat> now, America, even though I just spoke about DOD components, understand this. If you were to go look at the highest level of executives in America, and when I say executives, I don't mean within the uh, corporate America, I mean within the federal government. If you were to go look at the highest echelons of offices, when they issued their directives, it's with this kind of snake oil involved. The reason we have arrived where people are being punished is that your mid-level managers don't know what's going on. And they have eaten this as if it says that you can use an unapproved product as if it's an approved product. And so these high-level executives are not stepping in to ensure that the laws are being taken care of. They're allowing these penalties to go forth because that's their end goal. So if you work for the Department of Veterans Administration, um, what's happened is that these things have been filtered through. Your upper-level management gets this, and they say, hey, you got to take this Pfizer drug. It's the same thing medically speaking. If you don't, we're going to fire you. We're going to penalize you. We're going to force you to start taking testing. And, and let me just chime in here. I'm going to rabbit trail because I've gotten so many emails about people who are upset that they're having to do COVID testing if they don't take the vaccine mandate. That is highly illegal to require that testing. In the military, in America, anywhere, why is that? Number one, you can't be forced to participate in medical experimentation. Number two, you were given an equal option to either accept or refuse the product. Number three, if they're, if they're penalizing you because of a choice you made, that's a violation of your 14th Amendment rights. Is it not? Number four, just food for thought. Um, to add in there, Mr. Attorney, no COVID-19 vaccine in their products labeling declare, declares that they will inoculate any American from any virus from COVID-19. If you read it specifically, it states, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is what it means, we don't know how long protection will last if you take our product. That is not inoculation. Um, in fact, Pfizer said about 14% of the people who receive the product are never received any kind of protection right off the bat. Um, and then they declared in their own documentation that the efficacy was dropping at a minimum of 6% every two months. So, um, when, you read, when you read these instructions from these um, upper echelons, what they do is they say they have these slashes. This is throughout DOD. I can see this now. I didn't see it a couple of weeks ago, but now I see it everywhere. Within the federal government, it says to, uh, they give a definition of what it means to be fully vaccinated, right? And it says you will have to take both of these shots from one of these drugs. And it will say Pfizer, BioNTech, slash Comirnaty, or um, Moderna, slash SpikeVax. Um, and so they're all saying... You have to take one or the other, but you have the right to refuse one of these. You see, but your low-level managers, they're completely oblivious to the laws that govern the protection of human subjects. They're oblivious to these laws that exist within the state. Let me give you an example. In California, the federal statute, I mean, the state statutes literally state, and I'm paraphrasing here, hey, the Nuremberg Code doesn't have the force of law in America. 
But we, the state legislature of California, want to make sure that we protect our citizens. Thereby, we completely abide by 45 CFR 46. And in doing so, they're obligated to abide by the Belmont Report. Now, State Attorney General, let me just give you a little tip here. Let's say that you get a hold of this and you actually research it. And you have a fundamental understanding of what's taking place. You can go to the Office of Human Rights Protections. There's a database of all the companies and government agencies in America who signed a tangible contract with them, promising HHS that they would abide by the Belmont Report. <laughs> in other words, State Attorney General, OSHA already had an agreement with HHS and they already have regulations built within their own organization that they would not do what they just attempted to do and that is to force Americans to participate in medical experimentation. And it's in 20 different federal um, agencies including the DOD, OSHA, Department of Justice, you name it. Furthermore, um, State Attorney General, mothers, you should know this, virtually every major university in America they have on file right now a contract with OHRP through uh, HHS that they will abide by the common rule and that they will abide by um, uh, the Belmont report. Thereby, when Duke University said that you have to get out of our school unless you take the vaccine, Duke University, they're now in significant trouble as soon as attorneys catch on quickly. Well, Dr. Sigloff, you know, a lot of people say, okay, Brian, um, if this is a case, how come we're not winning? Well, number one, the lawyers don't know this. You can go look at every legal brief. They are arguing religious exemption. Listen, Belmont Report doesn't require you to um, seek out any exemption of any kind. You could just say no. That is your fundamental right, period. They broke the law. Listen, Delta broke the law. Google broke the law. Boeing broke the law um, when they threatened their employees with taking away their retirement benefits because they have no legal standing to create a directive when they say that you must participate in medical experimentation. Secondly, attorney, this is something worthy of your research time. Because there are 50 states, and I can't go through the laws of all 50 states, but the HIPAA laws, the privacy protection laws, it is criminal at a felony level for a CEO to require employees to inform them whether or not they participated in medical experimentation. So when they say we're issuing this vaccine mandate and you have to let us know whether or not you participate in it and there are no vaccines available that are FDA approved, thereby there are only experimental products available, this is highly illegal. Um, each state, they classify these crimes in different kind of ways. What I'm saying to you is that imagine that a, a nurse goes to sue Ascension Healthcare. First of all, Ascension Healthcare will have an agreement on file with uh, the Office of Human Rights Protection. Now they have agreements, a hospital program. They have an agreement that they will not violate privacy laws, privacy health laws. And they're requiring their employees to inform them whether or not they participated in medical experimentation. Uh, we're talking about a legal Armageddon that's taking place. So what's my involvement in all of this? Um, I know a lot of people who are going to be watching this video won't know who I am. And um, so let me just state right off the bat that, number one, I'm not an attorney. I have spent 30 years in corporate America as a strategist. I'm the guy who goes deep diving in research to come up with solutions to problems um, that corporations need to solve. Last year, because a number of my friends in the Air Force were underneath these um, penalties, it aroused my passion to start fighting on behalf of the American people. I spent probably between four to 500 hours in research now in totality across a whole bunch of titles of U.S. code to understand this. So now my passion, Dr. Sigaloff, from here on out is to begin to educate the American people about their rights, to begin to work with trial law firms because we're not at the administrative level anymore. We're now suing for the violation of our rights. We're now suing for the violation of our 14th Amendment rights, and we're going to seek punitive damages, and it will be a legal Armageddon that's going to be unleashed, and we're going to have class action lawsuits against Google, against Delta Airlines, against uh, Ascension Healthcare. There's no way that they're going to be able to justify their actions. They are not protected underneath the PrEP Act, um, as they probably have been told they were, because they're not a part of the supply chain. <laughs> they, and number two, it, the PrEP Act requires, quote-unquote, voluntariness of every person involved, um, including the recipient. 
So my desire from this point forward is to begin to educate the American people. I started COVIDPenalty.com, which is just a website born out of my passion. I am not a 501c3 corporation. I am not an organization. I don't want to be an organization. Think of me as a quick reaction strike force. My desire is to go in, educate, energize, remove the glaze off of people's eyes, remove the apathy out of the heart. Let's go have some victory. Let's see this thing pull through. And I started COVIDPenalty.com specifically to educate the American people and to raise funds so that I can go and travel across America and begin to educate our elected officials, our state attorneys general, and the legal community at large um, of these rights. So I want to say thank you, Dr. Sigaloff, again for having me on here. It's been a long segment, and I know it's hot out there in Arizona in the middle of July, and but it's a little bit cooler here in Florida, believe it or not. Well, I, I appreciate everything that you're doing. It's wonderful having you back on. There's a few things that I wanted to add on to what you said. Um, for anybody that, that works for the military or is a service member or even in your private workplace, civilian private work, not government at all, if someone makes you wear a mask, if they're not a physician who's fitted that to you, that's a medical device that they're having you wear. That's practicing medicine. If they're having you take a test that's actually under EUA, it's because all these COVID tests are EUA approved, um, authorized, whatever. They're under EUA. So if it's not a medical professional who's testing you, then that person who's telling you to get tested is practicing medicine without a license. That's a felony. I suggest you report them for felony level charges to be brought against them. Right? These are crimes. These aren't just like, oh, well, they, they didn't tell me this, they didn't tell me that. Okay, no, no. These are crimes committed against people that have hurt people. They've hurt my friends. They've hurt your friends. We need this legal arm Armageddon to be brought to fruition. And I love that term, legal Armageddon, because that's what it will be. And there will be a Nuremberg 2.0. And I want to, this is for the, the military commanders out there, because everyone under the Secretary of Defense, he wrote it in a way that protects himself, just as you were describing. He put these, these slashes in there. He put these oars in there. The military commander that's giving these orders is not only practicing medicine without a license, they're violating your human rights. And there will be a Nuremberg 2.0 at some point. And these people will be brought to trial. Well, I would just like to add on to that because of my significant involvement in DOD activities right now as it relates to this issue. Uh, the only people, and this should really scare commanders, the only, group, uh, the only group within the DOD structure that's actually requiring service members to participate in these EUA products are those commanders. When you read all of the, the directives, none of those directives um, coming down require anybody to participate. It's just written in such a way with such a high-level degree of deception that these commanders, listen, they're not lawyers. You know what I'm saying? This is not what they don't work in words all day long. They carry a gun. They're made to go shoot the bad guy, right? Um, or fly, you know, 30,000 feet in the air, drop a bomb or whatever it might be. This is not their purview. And so they have been deceived themselves. But at the end of the day, when a service member begins to sue and there's a class action lawsuit against these commanders, the military, the lieutenant general place is going to say, listen, I told them that they could use one of the two of these two drugs. I told them not to penalize uh, a service member. And so, but what's happened is that we have created compliance dates before the availability of FDA approved drugs, and therein lies the uh, criminal aspect of it. And then let me just say this one last thing. America as a whole, once you understand the Belmont Report, once you understand legally effective informed consent, it is illegal, according to federal law, to even list a product under an EUA um, within the scope of a mandate. A mandate implies penalties, and a penalty automatically nullifies the ability for you to give your legally effective informed consent. This is how powerful these laws were created to protect you to stop from what has taken place in America from ever have, have taken place in our nation once again. And so it's, it's, it's going to require significant, as this lady in the Air Force said, and a lot of people have read it, it will require significant remedial actions by our legal community. 
And if someone says that they have FDA approved coherency, we talked about labeling earlier, it's your responsibility to ensure that the labeling is absolutely correct. I encourage you to go listen to one of my recent episodes where I discuss how I had the audio phone call of a man who called Pfizer. Pfizer said that lot number uh, FW, Fosky, uh, Foxtrot Whiskey 1331, was manufactured in France. There is no FDA-approved manufacturing site in France, meaning that vial was meant for a European market and was brought over and used in an American market, which is completely wholly illegal, fraud, and deception, and they're trying to hurt American uh, service members. Well, and also, let me just say this about that. That's called the, the gray cap Comirnaty label drugs. Um, in Europe, they're allowed to have an experimental product underneath the marketing name. So in America, you're not allowed to do that. You have to have an experimental product name and you have to have a marketing name once it's been approved. In Europe, they're allowed to um, have an experimental product um, with the end marketing name. So what we have discovered is that these Comirnaty gray cap label drugs are actually EU experimental products. Um, and so they're trying to be passed off as FDA approved products in the supply line. And, you know, if we had a Department of Justice who actually wanted to fight for our rights, uh, there will be a significant number of people sitting in prison right now. Well, Brian, I, I am so happy that you came on again. Thank you so much for spreading all this wonderful information, sharing it, um, praying for you, family, and that, that you're that you're able to get all this done and that together you and I can make courage more contagious than fear and give Absolutely. the listener, the viewer, the ability to, to fight for themselves in a nonviolent manner. Well, thank you, Dr. Sigalov, for having me on here. And I look forward to our day when we all celebrate victory together. Amen. All right.